This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Tonight we're going to look at Romans 6. I'm going to read uh, the first 14 verses. And as we do, this is a resurrection. Uh, this is Easter, so I'm preaching a resurrection message. So as we're looking through here, uh, as you're following along, see, see what you see about the resurrection in this passage. This is not a traditional Easter uh, passage, and this is not a traditional Easter sermon. I'll explain in a second. But uh, this is uh, the, the truth of the resurrection certainly is in here. So reading from Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Lord, we tonight thank you that uh, your word is true and that it is relevant for our lives tonight. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would uh, speak to us. I pray that you would open our eyes to Jesus and what he's done for us. I pray any of us who've gathered here tonight who may have yet to, um, to know you personally, whether we're aware of that or not, that you would open our hearts to you tonight, that we might receive new life. And for those of us who do know you tonight, I pray that you would give us fresh faith in what you have done for us through the resurrection, that you would encourage and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, there are traditionally, as, as far as I know, there's traditionally two types of Easter services, Easter sermons. There's two types. One is a historical approach where you read a narrative of the resurrection of Jesus, which we already did during the singing portion. We read the re- narrative of Jesus' resurrection. And uh, we look at what Jesus did for us in, uh, in the cross and resurrection. And often the preacher will offer evidences Uh, for the validity of the resurrection, for the truthfulness of it, the veracity of it, and uh, the difference that the resurrected Christ makes in giving us new life. So it's a sermon that looks historically at what Jesus did and explains how we can become Christians if we believe that message. And that's, that's a sermon that I preached 
three-quarters of the time uh, at Easter. That's a backward-looking sermon, looking in history. Then there's a kind of sermon that looks forward. This is, I preached this sermon last year, uh, a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, where you see that as Christ has been raised from the dead, we will be raised as well. And so the theme in those passages of Scripture is that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. So it's a very future-looking truth where because Christ was resurrected, all of those who believe in Jesus will one day be resurrected as well. One looks to the past and says, here's how we can be converted by believing that message. One looks to the future and says, if we believe that message, we have heaven awaiting us. Those are both biblical approaches to preaching and understanding the resurrection. But I want to do something different tonight. I don't want to focus on the past, though I've already talked about the resurrection of Jesus, and I don't want to talk about the future. I want to talk about the present and ask this question, what difference does Jesus' historical resurrection mean for you now? Not in the past when you were converted, if you're a Christian, and not in the future, but what's the value of the resurrection tonight in your life? Have you ever considered, what does the resurrection say to me in my anger problem? Have you ever thought about, what difference does the resurrection mean to me in my marriage, or if you're single, in my dating life. What difference does the resurrection really mean? How is it relevant to me? How is the, re- how is the resurrection relevant to me tonight when I feel shame for something I've done or something that's been done to me? What does the resurrection say to my shame? What difference does the resurrection have, what difference does it make in my life as a student or in my job in the marketplace? Uh, when you get up and go to work tomorrow, when you are at your job, whatever you do, what difference does the resurrection mean right then? Not on Easter Sunday, but the Monday following. What difference does the resurrection mean as, as for you as a parent or your care for your home? These types of things. You see, the resurrection of Jesus in the past not only secures our future, but it changes our today. The resurrection of Jesus in the past not only secures our future, that we go to heaven, but the resurrection changes everything about today. And the reason that's true is because we are, as Christians, as believers, we are united with Jesus in his resurrection. The Bible calls that union with Christ. And the passage we just read talks about the difference that union with Christ makes in our lives. And here's the first thing it says. That if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're in union with Christ. And the first thing it says is that union in Christ means we died to sin. Union with Christ means we died to sin. Now, here's what Paul is addressing in chapter 6. At the end of chapter 5, in verse 20, he says, where sin increased grace abounded all the more. So he said, wherever there is sin, grace is more powerful. The forgiving grace of God is more powerful than sin. That's what he says in in verse 20 of chapter 5. And so that leads to a very natural question that he anticipates. The question is that if I sin and then God gives me grace, grace is a good thing, right? 
So why shouldn't I sin more and more and more? Because God would give me more and more and more grace, and that's a good thing. And you can't get too much of a good thing. So why don't I just sin, uh, you know, willingly, freely, and abundantly, because then I'll receive abundant grace. That's the natural question from what he taught in chapter 5. So in verse 1 of chapter 6, which we just read, that's, he answers, he anticipates the question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. It's the strongest language that he could use in the original translation. May it never, we continue in sin that we have more grace. May that never be the case is what Paul says. So why shouldn't we continue in sin? Well, because it's bad. True, but that's not what he says. Because the Bible forbids it. True, but that's not what he says. Why should we not continue in sin? Look at what his answer is in verse 1. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him in baptism into his death. So he's saying we are united with Christ in his death. What does it mean to be baptized into Christ's death? What he's saying is that we are joined to Jesus. When you believe in him, you are joined to him so that what happened to Jesus is credited to you. Jesus does something in his death and resurrection, and if you're a believer, you get the benefits of what he has done. It's being united with Christ. When you turn from sin and trust in Jesus and then are baptized, Your baptism represents your faith in Christ, and it represents a joining to Jesus. You have union with Christ. And union with Christ, it's not some mysterious mingling of your personality and Jesus' personality. It just means this. Because you believe in Jesus, God looks at you connected to Jesus, and he credits you with what Jesus has done for you. And so in this case, he says, Jesus has died to sin, so have we. Now, he never sinned, but he took his, our sins upon him. And so what Paul says is that if you're connected with Jesus because you believe in him, then just as he died to sin, he died for our sins, just as he died to sin, you die to sin as well so that sin will not rule over you. Look down at verse 6. He says, our old self, that's who we were before we met Jesus, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So here's this amazing thing he's saying. If you believe in Jesus, then just as Jesus died for our sins, with our sins upon him, you too died to sin. What does he say? So that you are no longer enslaved to sin. You, it, before we become a Christian, we are under the rule of sin. Sin is our master, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. We're blinded. We don't even see it, but sin rules over us. Sin dominates us. And he says, if you believe in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken. It's killed. 
the power of sin so that sin does not rule over you. This is what some of us need to get. What I need to get this Resurrection Sunday is that when, when we believe in Jesus, the power of sin is killed over you. It does not dominate you. It is like the death of Jesus is like the Emancipation Proclamation to the slave. It's exactly what it is. In the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, when Lincoln made the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, it, it changed the legal status of slaves so that they were no longer legally, federally, the law was that they were no longer enslaved executive order. And Jesus' death is that executive order. Through his death, he proclaims to all believers, verse 6, you died with me, so sin is not your master. It does not own you. It does not control you. You are not a child of the enemy. You are a child of the Father. You are not controlled and owned by sin. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, because we identify with Jesus' death. And that changes the judgment of God toward us. God will not judge believers for our sins because Christ has paid for them, but more than just the penalty of sin, it also changes the power of sin over us. And that's his answer. Verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He doesn't say sin is really bad, so no, though that's true. He says, how can we who died to sin live in it? You're dead to sin. How can you continue to choose to live in that? You are no longer enslaved. Why would you enslave yourself to a cruel master? Why would you take chains when you've been freed? Why would you take the lash of the evil master sin when you've been freed to live for the Lord? Why would you do that when you are emancipated? By no means. He said, we have died to sin. And he repeats that in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Did you know there are places where there, where there is no sin? There are sin free zones where people are and yet there is no sin whatsoever. I'm going to show you a picture of one of those places right now. No one in this picture is lusting. No one is lying. No one is greedy. No one is gluttonous. No one is drunk. No one is arrogant. No one is proud. No one is self-righteous. Why? Because they are dead. And that is Paul's exact point in this passage. You have died to sin. It is as if we should say, sin, sin is dead to me. And so he's saying it is, it is utterly foolish for us to, to, to continue in sin when we are dead. It makes no sense to pursue it because it is we are no longer enslaved to the power of sin why because of Jesus's death so the first idea of being united with Jesus is if we're in union with Jesus union with Jesus means that we are dead to sin here's the second truth that's very relevant for today union with Jesus means we are raised to new life look at verse 3 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We just read that. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Union with Christ means that God views us with Jesus and we receive the benefits he's won And just as Jesus is raised, we are raised to walk in a new life. That's the present-day value of the resurrection, that we are given a new life to live now. Now, there's a future dimension to resurrection that's glorious. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's future tense. So there is the truth that one day Christ will return and all those who are his will be resurrected to new life. Glorious truth. That is true. But the biblical picture is not that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and you can believe in that and then you just live in a holding pattern and just try to eke out a life and make it and you're fundamentally the same as everyone else. You're fundamentally the same as you were before you believed in him but you're just waiting for that day when the resurrection comes. So we're kind of in this holding pattern where nothing's really happening. That's, that's a picture of the Christian life that some of us live with. But Paul says it, that couldn't be further from the truth. You died with sin, died with Christ to sin, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. Just like the picture of baptism. Someone comes up out of the water and they're to live a new life, empowered to live a new life today. What is it that's new about the new life? Well, I've already mentioned one. We have a new ruler. We have a new ruler. So verse verse um, 7 that we read earlier talks about us that we're no longer, or verse 6, that we're no longer enslaved to sin. But later in the passage, some other language is, is used that's somewhat similar. Look at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Or look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. So verse 6 speaks of sin as a, as a slave owner, and we're the slave. Um, verse 12 speaks of, that's, that's a, like king language, reign. Sin, therefore, will not reign in your mortal body. It won't rule over you, we might say. Or verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Dominion means control or sovereignty. So sin isn't to be the controlling force in our lives. I mean, Jesus' death and resurrection really makes a difference. It really accomplishes something. And it means that we are under new rulership. We have a new master. Jesus rose from the grave to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat the grave. And now he rules over us and he is a good king. He is a merciful king. He is a gracious king. And he is our powerful ruling king in these days, currently, we have been, Colossians says it this way, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son, into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we were under the domain of darkness. We were enslaved by sin. And once we believe we are united with Christ, we die to sin as he does, and now we have a new master. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in a new domain. We're in a new kingdom. 
Easter means we have a new king that has, previ- that has overthrown our previous Lord. Uh, Satan, sin, death, all of these powers of darkness that were the controlling forces of our minds so that we couldn't even understand the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit working, we don't even understand the gospel. It doesn't make sense. We don't see our need for Jesus. But when the Lord opened our eyes to see who he is, and we, then we come under a new <clears throat> kingdom, a new king, a new power, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're raised to walk in a new life under a new ruler. So we have a new ruler. We also have a new power. We also have a new power. Don't let, verse 12, don't, uh, therefore let not sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because you don't have to. We have a new Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new power. So we, we're not to let sin reign in our body. Verse 11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So not only are we dead to sin, but we are alive. As Jesus is alive, we are alive. And this is great news. The message of Christianity is, here's the rules. If you keep them all, then God will approve of you. The message of Christianity is, here's the rules, and everyone is guilty. And no one can keep them perfectly and everyone is to be judged by God but God sent his son Jesus who kept all the rules and died in our place for not keeping the rules and now anyone who believes in him his obedience is credited to us we get that as a gift and uh, our sins are credited to him and so we are pardoned and he gives us power So that now, in an increasing way, we can obey Him. We can serve Him. We can live a life that glorifies Him and pleases Him. Because we have a new power. That new power is the Holy Spirit living in us. In two chapters, in in Romans 8, this is what Paul's going to write. He says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised... Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says that he gives us his spirit and this new power brings life to us that we can live a new life in a new way under a new king. Why? Because our king's not in the grave. Our king came out of the grave to give us new life. So if we identify with him, we die to sin. Verse 4, we're raised to walk in newness of life. We also have a new purpose. Prior to being united with Christ, prior to believing in Christ, life is all about me. Life is all about my way, my glory. It's, it's, all of life is viewed through the lens of self and selfishness. That's, that's the way we naturally all live. But Christ gives us a new power and a new purpose as well. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, we still sin 
we still make sin. We are still tempted and we fall on a regular basis. So even though we're freed, we run back to our old slave master frequently and serve sin. Uh, so we still sin, but the, perp- the point of this passage is to realize that we have a new ruler, a new power because of the resurrection, and we have a new purpose. And that's expressed right here because he says, don't present yourself to sin as a servant of sin so that you just become a vehicle of unrighteousness. Don't put yourself before sin and live for the purposes of sin is what he is saying. Instead, make choices that are in line with the king who has won us. Make choices that are in line with the power of the spirit within us who changes our desires and gives us power to say yes to the Lord. Um, and so this is, this is what he's saying here. So present yourself, verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who've moved from death to life. The Lord wants us to live a life He's designed us to live a life that that looks like someone who was spiritually dead and now has life. Someone who was serving self and sin that's now serving the benevolent, glorious, loving king. What it means is the resurrection changes everything. At your point of conversion, the resurrection gives you new life when you believe in Jesus He will return for you. You will be raised to be with him for eternity. Those are the great bookends of our spiritual life. But in between, we should have an expectation of increasing obedience to God. Joy-filled lives with purpose for the Lord. We're not just hanging in there until he rescues us from this miserable existence. That is not a biblical picture. And if it is, we don't really need a resurrection. But the resurrection means that we have new life today. And so he says, don't pursue your old life, that sin that destroys you. It destroys your relationships. It destroys your purpose in God. Rather, he's given us a new purpose. What is that purpose? Present yourself to God. He says, present yourself to God as one who is come from death to life. That's your new purpose, is life, not spiritual death. Not acting like you did, but acting in line with your new life. And, he says, to, that, uh, to use yourself as an instrument for righteousness. So what he's saying is, once we have a new ruler, a new king, and a new power, we have a new purpose, and that purpose is to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I am yours. Use me for your great purposes. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be back in chains. I don't want to be living like someone who's spiritually dead. I don't want to be living like someone radically changed by Christ. The Bible says I'm a new person, and so I present myself to you as a new person. And I don't feel like it. I feel like a mess. And I look at my life, and my track record is pretty messy, even as a Christian. But Lord, your word says this to be true of me, so I give you my life, and I ask you, I present myself to you. I'm not presenting myself to sin. I'm presenting myself to you and say, have your way in me. Use me. That's what he's talking about. Those who have been brought from death to life. If you're a Christian here today, that's you. You've been brought from death to to life. You have new life because you're attached to Christ and Christ isn't in the grave. He's alive. And that makes all the difference today. Do you see that purpose? Do you see how you are to live? We are people of the resurrection. 
We are people of a new life as those who have been brought from death to life. We have a new king and a new power. And so we present ourselves to our king and say, Lord, have your way in me with expectation of growing, growing relationship with the Lord and obedience to the Lord. So how do I do this? How do I do this? It's interesting in this passage to me that Paul doesn't give the seven steps to living. We would like that if he did. But he gives us something that's very, very practical here. And it's what I've been trying for the last, I don't know how long I'm going to speak, 25 minutes. It's what I've been trying to, 35 minutes, I don't know. What I've been trying to um, uh, lay out for you. This is what he says. First of all, union with Christ means we're dead to sin. Union with Christ means we're raised to walk in newness of life. And here's the third and final idea. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It's a very simple strategy. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now the Bible says a lot more in other places, but in this section, that is the primary command this to be true of you and then present yourself to God consider this to be true of you present yourself to sin don't present yourself to the opportunities that sin gives don't run into the way of temptation run the direction other direction put yourself before the Lord this is what he says consider yourself dead to sin to live in newness of life you have to believe it's possible as a Christian if you are more aware of your sin then you are the resurrected Christ, you will be a failure as a Christian, and so will I. If we are primarily aware of sin, if we are primarily aware of the dominating power of sin in our lives, if we are primarily keeping our eyes and not keeping our eyes on Christ, we will never grow or mature. We won't even stay level. We'll actually probably move backwards. But if we keep our eyes on Christ and we consider what he has done for us, and when it says consider, it's not like stroke your chin and hmm, I'll, I'll sort of consider that. He means, no, I believe that. I will receive that truth that I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That is my position before the Lord. And so I will consider that to be true. I will trust the Lord for that to be true. And then in line with that identity and that truth about my life, I will present myself to God as one who has new life. Even when I don't feel like it and even when things aren't going well, I will take that, I will believe that reality that Jesus got up out of the grave and that I'm in him and so now I am called to walk in newness of life and empowered to do it. God never calls us to do anything that he doesn't give us the power to do as well. So we have to believe that that's possible. We have to know that we're united to Christ. We have to know what difference that really makes. We have to realize that sin never made a dead guy do anything. The, 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 The cemetery has no problem with sin. And so we need to say, Lord, that is, I am dead to sin and alive to you. Would you grant me the power to obey you? Would you help me? Would you help me to believe this truth? We have to believe and be convinced that he lives and empowers us to live a different life. We have to have a conviction on this and then present ourselves to him as our ruler and the one who has made a difference that there is a real difference in just hearing the Easter message about Jesus' resurrection and being impacted by the resurrection. 
so that it affects my daily choices. Those are two very different things. Very, very different things. And my concern for me and my concern for you is that we can just go through an Easter gathering and hear about the resurrection and then go back to a regular life on Monday and Tuesday as if Jesus is in the grave. As if he's in the grave. Well, we may believe he's resurrected and we'll take, so that'll get us to heaven one day. But we're not really expecting that we're to experience anything of him today. And that's why I wanted to preach not on the past, just the past, though I'm preaching about the past because we have to understand Jesus died for our sins and rose. And not just the future, though I want you to have of the future, but for today to realize that the resurrection changes everything. And so we don't want to read about the resurrection in the Bible and say, oh, that's interesting. That's good. I'm not sure how it applies to me, but that's interesting and that's good. And I'm glad, it, I'm glad I get to go to heaven. It changes everything today. Last January, um, just a few months ago, uh, was the largest lottery in history, the largest lottery in history. And unless you were in a cave, uh, if you have a TV, an internet connection, a radio, a newspaper, uh, any means of communication, then you would have heard about it because it was $1.5 billion. And uh, by this illustration, I didn't buy a ticket, and by this illustration, I'm not endorsing the lottery or recommend that you buy a ticket, but it, it makes a good point. Uh, I, uh, I uh, though I wasn't a participant, I was curious because everywhere I went, I mean, I listened to sports talk radio, and on sports talk radio, they were talking about the lottery. I was like, what does that have to do? Not the draft lottery, like the lottery lottery. And, uh, and I, ju- I saw it on the news. Everywhere I was going, there's people talking about this amazing thing. So I was, you know, I was kind of following a little bit. I was curious about it. I thought, wow. And I even thought, wow, what would that be like? To have 1.5 billion, I mean, what would you do with 1.5 billion dollars? What, what, what would that be like? And I remember just being sort of curious about all of that. And then I saw someone who won on TV. And then two days later, I never thought of it again until two days ago. I just thought of it. But I never thought of it again until two days ago. So it was something that was out there that I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Man, that's an amazing amount of money. Uh, that's kind of interesting. But it didn't really have any impact on me. What if I had followed the lottery story and my wife, Ginger, who also did not participate, nor is she endorsing it, uh, what if she walked in and said, hey, I have this ticket and it's the winning lottery ticket. And what if she had done that in January? Would the lottery then have had a different impact on my life? Would it have been a curious news story that's invading my internet connection, invading my sports talk radio, invading wherever I go, I'm hearing about this? Would it have been something curious that two days later I forgot about? Or would it have changed everything, maybe for good or bad, but would it have changed everything in my life? Well, it would have changed everything. And what Jesus did is so far greater than $1.5 billion or any amount of money. Matter of fact, the scripture says, what would you gain if you gained the whole world but lost your soul? Knowing Christ is more valuable than anything else. And yet sometimes we can track with the resurrection message a little bit like that lottery. Wow, that would be life-changing. Whoa, that's amazing. Two days later, I'm just going to trudge along until Jesus comes back because the Christian life is really miserable. I'm just kind of hanging in there. And yet, I think Jesus wants to say to us, this changes everything. 
It, the resurrection, changes everything. You've gone from darkness to light, from the world, the flesh, and the devil, to the beautiful King Jesus ruling over your life. You've gone from a dead heart to a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. You've gone to a, from no purpose in your life except living for yourself to a life that says, I can present myself to God and be used by him to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. And that even when I fail and even when I fall, there is forgiveness and power to get back up and start afresh because his mercy is new every morning. That resurrection message makes all the difference all week long. If we consider that truth, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Consider, think about that, believe that, and then posture yourself before the Lord saying, I present myself to you as a new person. Maybe I don't feel that way, but it, you say this is true of me, and I know you're resurrected, and I know you're all-powerful. Would you make a difference in my life today? The, re the, the Easter message has a shelf life every day for eternity, not once a year. And it's so interesting. The reason I picked this passage is because this passage, Paul says the resurrection changes everything. You were with Christ when he was died and was buried and when he rose. And so you are risen to walk in newness of life now. That new life is a gift from the Lord. And he wants us to consider it today. He wants us to have not high expectations of us. I'm not saying have a great expectation of that you're going to be super Christian. I'm saying have a high expectation of Jesus who knows how to take a person and give them his spirit and give them his word and place them in a church community with relationships where he can help us grow as we repent and turn to him and trust him. The Lord's plan for our lives is a plan of purposeful newness, living a new life, and it changes everything, and it's way better than the lottery. It's way better than the lottery because it pays glorious dividends today and it pays indescribable dividends for eternity and it is free, the free gift of God to Christ to us. That's a message to Christians. Usually my entire resurrection message is to unbelievers. Today I spoke the whole time to Christians. But if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want to let you know this same reality that I'm talking about is a gift offered to you. You can't make yourself right with God. The Bible says we're all sinful, and because of that, we all deserve his judgment, every one of us. And we're going to face it. One day, we're going to give an account for our lives. But the truth is that he has made a way that we can have our sins forgiven, and we can have new life. And that's Jesus, the, man, the God-man, fully God and fully man, died in our place, died for our sins. And if you would believe in him and trust in him, you will receive forgiveness of sins, a cleansed conscience, and everything I'm talking about right here, it can apply to you by simply turning and believing. And everything I've just talked about will become your reality because, excuse me, because it is the gift of God. And by believing in Jesus, what happens is it's not that you become uh, this tremendously moral person all of a sudden so God accepts you. It's rather you connect yourself with Jesus. And so Jesus' death matters for you. Jesus' resurrection matters for you. And God takes that and applies it to you so that your sins are forgiven and you receive new life in Christ. And so if you've never experienced that, you can do that today. 
You don't have to join this church. You don't have to do, uh, you don't have to give some amount of money. You don't have to clean up your act real quick so that God will accept you. Here's what you have to do. You have to turn from your sin and realize that because of your many sins, we all have them, because of the many ways that we live for ourselves rather than live for the Lord, um, that you turn from that. The Bible words repent. You turn from sin and you turn to Christ and you say, I'm going to leave that. Or maybe it's your religious acts. You turn from the religious acts that you think if I'm good enough, I can make myself right with God. No, you've got to turn from those two. Say, I turn from sin and I turn from the religious sins as well of being a really good person so God will accept me. You turn from that as well, your effort, and you say, Jesus, I trust you that you died and you rose for me. I trust you with my whole life. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me these things, a new power, a new ruler, you, and a new purpose in my life. Grant me new life that I may follow you. you. All you have to do is tell him that in your own words, and we're about to sing, and you can do that while we sing. You can come to the Lord yourself and give him your, your life, and he'll grant you a new life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the gift that you have given us in Jesus, your son. We thank you that Christ has indeed risen from the dead. And we thank you for the difference. Those of us who are Christians, we thank you for the difference that made when we first believed that we received forgiveness and new life. How wonderful is that? We thank you for the future that's in front of us, a glorious eternity with you. But we also want to thank you that makes a difference today, that we're dead to sin, that we have a new master ruling over us, not sin, that we're not enslaved, that we have a new ruler, that we're under a new domain, that we're under a new reign, and his name is Jesus. And so we thank you for that today. And Lord, I pray for discouraged Christians who feel defeated. Those of us in the room like that, I pray that you give us fresh hope, not in us, but in the resurrected Christ. I pray for those of us who are entangled with sin, that you would give us the strength to not present ourselves to sin, but to present ourselves to God as those who have been transferred from death to life. Would you do that for us today? I pray where there's hopelessness in the Christian life, you'd give great, great hope. Uh, And I pray that you would just, uh, Lord, you've made all things new. I pray that you would just help us to tap into that, to walk into newness of life today as a church. Lord, I pray that for each of us. And anyone who does not know you, I pray that this Easter would be the day they receive spiritual life, that they would turn to you believingly now and give their lives in faith to you. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.